What a blessing. Thank you, by the way, for your generosity and your ministry to us. As much as people tell us all the time, thank you for ministering to you. Thank you for ministering to us. You know, the story of this church, it's not a story about a place. It's not a story about a location. It's not, it's not a story about buildings or programs or special events. You know, those are all details that provide some of the setting, some of the context for the story. But the actual story of this church is you. It's your lives and what God has been doing in you and what he's been doing through you as a part of this family. That is the story of Upcountry Church. And of course, God is the author of the story. We know that Jesus Christ being the foundation, the, the basis of the story, which is being told now through each one of your lives. And it's a beautiful story. One that I'm profoundly grateful to be a part of because it chronicles this ongoing transformation, the, the discipleship that is happening day by day and week by week and year by year in each of our lives and, and also the impact that we, what we're all doing together here is actually having on this community and people far from here, all around the world. There, there's really nothing else like it when you look back over the past five years seeing the very real and measurable effects this church has had on human lives both near and far. And I'll tell you, it never gets old. Never gets old to me hearing the stories, the, the testimonies uh, of people who have been changed, enlightened, encouraged, redeemed, restored, people who have been healed, people who have been accepted, even sent out by God through this local church. There's just nothing else like it, which is the way it's supposed to be. God didn't, uh, you know, he didn't write a backup plan into the script just in case the church doesn't make it. No, the church is God's plan for spreading the gospel and making disciples in this world, and there is no backup plan. We're it. So as gratifying and encouraging as it is to look back on what he's already done through Upcountry Church, and it is, but I'll tell you it's far more stirring for me to think about what he's going to do through Upcountry Church as we look ahead to all of the parts of the story that have yet to be told through our lives. And so what that story actually looks like going forward is largely dependent upon how we choose to build on this foundation that has now been laid. The, the Apostle Paul had this to say uh, to the church that he started in Corinth. I'm, I'm reading from 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. He said, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, 
but only as through fire. So Paul says, look, I started this church like a master builder laying the foundation. The word master builder there in the ancient Greek is architecton. It's where we get our English word architect from. So like an architect, Paul says, I laid the foundation for this church, but that's just the beginning. To construct the building, you start with the foundation, but you have to build up from there. There's far more to do, right? The foundation is important, but it's just the beginning. The architect cannot do it all himself. So alongside him come these skilled workers who are all gifted in different areas. And and when they all work together to build something beautiful, it becomes what it's supposed to be. But Paul also warns them to take care in how they build. How they build on that foundation. He compares gold silver and precious stones. Those were the materials used in building Solomon's temple. He compares them with wood and hay and straw. Materials that don't last. Because you can cover up shoddy materials. Right? You, you can cut corners and you can use people who are not committed to building the right way. You can skip important steps in the process. You can build too fast. You can build with inferior materials but still you can dress it up on the outside and that building will look great and yet when it is put to the test the structure will fail every time or you can take your time and you can do it right you can use the right people in the best materials with the greatest care to uh, attention to detail and when that building is tested it will be proven worthy of what it was built for okay What we have here at Upcountry Church is a strong foundation. And what the future of this church looks like, well, to be honest, that depends largely on how we build on the foundation, which we'll talk more about in a moment. But first, you have to start with a foundation that is strong. Because anything that lasts, anything that stands the test of time, that withstands the storms of life, that holds fast when the challenges come, and we all know they do, That must be built on a firm foundation. And of course, it seems small in the beginning, doesn't it? When you build a building and you first see the foundation, it always seems small. I remember when I built houses for many, many years and people would come after the foundation had been laid and they've been looking at blueprints and magazine pictures and dreaming about this house for years and then they see the foundation and they go, gee, it seems kind of small. It always seemed small in the beginning, and that's okay because I want you to know great things always grow from small things. Great things always grow from small things. Five years ago, we moved back here and we purchased the church, as most of you know, across the street, the other side of the ball field. We actually bought that sight unseen as we were in Alaska 5,000 miles away. And so for 14 days, as we drove 5,000 miles down the Alcon, Alcan Highway with blowing out tires and, and <laughs> everything that we went through to get back here, we were dreaming about the church building and the church we would build and how it would all look and what it would be like because we'd seen some photographs. So when we arrived, we drove, we got back to town, we drove over here, and I'll never forget walking up the steps and first opening the doors of that little building. There were three or four different types of linoleum and tile just in the little tiny foyer. And none of it was good. (laughs) 
There was old, blue, ragged, stained, and ripped carpet throughout the building with bright green pews on top of it. The building was a complete mess. And I literally closed the doors and I stood on the porch and I turned around thinking, what have I gotten us into? And I just gazed across the way and actually looked at this building, which at the time was a successful business, obviously a bigger, much newer building. And I said, Lord, why couldn't we have something like that? <laughs> That's another story for another day. It's an amazing story how we ended up here. But at the time, that was the plan. And so seven days a week, I got up in the morning and I drove to that little church building, rolled up my sleeves, started taking out pews and ripping up carpet. And every day about dinner time, Keith Haggerty would get off of work and he would drive through a drive through and he would show up with dinner for both of us. We'd eat supper and then we'd work together till we couldn't stand up any longer in the middle of the night and go home and start over seven days a week. And then on Sundays, we would scrape all of the debris and trash and tools up into piles in the sanctuary and drag one or two pews back into the room and uh, grab a guitar or two and have a little worship service and a little time with our 16 people that we were starting with the church with. It was a tremendous amount of work. It was slow. It was deliberate. But eventually, it came together. You know, that's how it should be. Because the foundation has to be sure. You have to take the time to build the right way. And then once the foundation is laid, others can come along, just as Paul said, and join in. And they build on that foundation until it becomes something truly beautiful. It's the story of the church. In fact, it is the story of this church. All of us building something beautiful on a firm foundation that is Jesus Christ. And so again, as wonderful as it is to look back and see all that he's done here over the past five years, and I love it. It's right for us to do that, by the way, because that's a testimony to who he is and what he's done for us. But as wonderful as that is, we must also look ahead to where he's leading us as we move forward because the truth is we have only just begun. What this church ends up looking like, you know, 5, 10, 20 years from now, well, that depends on how we continue to build in the days to come. And I'll just tell you, it is infinitely harder to have to go back and fix something in a structure after it is finished, something that wasn't done properly to begin with. It is infinitely more difficult to go back later and fix it than it is to do it right as you build it. It's one of the reasons, to be honest, we haven't rushed this process these past five years. Because I'll just tell you the truth, we've no interest in breaking church growth records at the expense of breaking the church's health. And so, uh, certainly not perfect, but we've been very deliberate. We've been very careful to try and build the right way, which we're committed to keep doing. But that is very much dependent. I'm here to tell you today it's dependent on all of us now because we are Upcountry Church. This beautiful story, it's our story. 
yet it's just begun. There's so much more that God has in store for your life. There's so much more that he wants to do in your life and through your life for others. There's so much more to this story that has yet to be told. But that means all of us being committed to building the right way. And so today we're going to take a break from our current sermon series to celebrate this five-year anniversary. We're going to look at what Jesus had to say about building his church and what that looks like when it's done the right way. Because your ability uh, to withstand the pressures that will be brought to bear upon the church in the future will depend on how we build the church today, right? Being the church, which is what we are, being the church is probably, uh, I think it's likely, safe to say, not going to get easier in this country as we move forward. It's very likely that professing to be a Christian in our culture will become increasingly troublesome and significantly less popular if it continues to follow the trend we're on in the future. I was listening to an author and businessman the other day talk about how making it a point to tell your clients or customers that you were a Christian uh, or a member of whatever church years ago in this country was highly beneficial to your business because being a part of the church or professing to be a Christian was seen as such a positive attribute. While today he said just mentioning that you're a Christian or a member of the church can be the death nail for your business, at least as far as some are concerned. And, and of course, that has nothing to do with real persecution, and I won't pretend that it does, but it has everything to do as an indicator of the ever-changing disposition of this culture toward the church of Jesus Christ. It's just a simple reality. The climate in this country toward Christianity is changing, which means local churches the ones that are still going to be here 20 years from now and beyond will be the ones that took the time and the care and the effort to build the right way. Right? B because they will be made up of believers who understand what it means and are committed to actually being the church. Let's see what Jesus had to say as we look at a couple of very short uh, but very important parables that he taught in Matthew chapter 13. If you want to turn with me there, uh, we'll have it on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 13, we'll start with verses 31 and 32 where Matthew, speaking of Jesus, says, He put another parable before them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So uh, if you look back in the first three verses of this chapter, Matthew says there were so many people crowding near to Jesus to hear him preach that he got into a boat on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and began teaching these huge crowds from there. Local church tradition actually tells us that the location of this particular teaching from Jesus was a place called the Cove of the Parables. It's a natural horseshoe uh, shaped into like a natural amphitheater in the ground there, which because of its natural shape would have carried Jesus' voice, they say over 300 feet, from the boat that he was standing in to the many hundreds of people on the shore. And it just so happened 
that mustard trees grew along the shores of the Sea of Galilee. So they would have been immediately in view as Jesus shared this parable. So it would hit very close to home where he, he compares the kingdom of heaven to the seed of a mustard tree. And of all the known seeds that were used for planting in Israel, the mustard seed at the time was the smallest. And yet when fully grown, it ends up as a tree anywhere between 6 and 20 feet. Some have grown up to 30 feet tall with a 20-foot spread. And so he's comparing the kingdom of heaven to this tree that begins as a tiny, seemingly insignificant seed. Because at that moment when Jesus uttered these words... Think about it. The entire citizenship of the kingdom of heaven on earth was comprised of nothing more than Jesus and his handful of disciples. Barely a handful of individuals if you think about it in the context of the other religions at that time. Right? Christianity had no property claims, no massive membership, no religious center, and yet they were living within another kingdom, the Roman Empire. At its height, the Roman Empire controlled lands from northwestern Europe all the way to the Near East. That included parts of Africa and Asia and all of the lands of the Mediterranean. It was full, I mean full of religions with vast followings of people. You had the gods and goddesses of the Pantheon at Rome, the, the all-male cult of Mithras, which had a huge following. Fascinating to read about, by the way. Not to mention all of these mystery religions that were rampant throughout the Mediterranean, okay? These religions dominated the known world at the time. And then you had Jesus and his followers, who in comparison from a size perspective must have seemed completely insignificant. And so Jesus, of course, recognizing that, compares the kingdom of heaven to a tiny mustard seed among all the other plants in the garden, all of these other religions, those with much larger seeds, and yet when fully grown, not only would the mustard tree grow exponentially larger than all of the other plants in the garden, but it would stand the test of time long after all of those other plants had died away. You see, those other first century religions are all gone now. They've all died away. They no longer exist while Christianity has become the largest religious following in the world. By far. Not even close. Without question, this very prophetic parable by Jesus has already come true and yet the mustard tree is still growing. Christianity is still spreading and it will continue to spread until Jesus comes back again. You see it's a beautiful story about something that started so tiny, so small, so seemingly insignificant but it continues to grow until the end of days. This is the point Jesus was trying to make. The church is supposed to grow. This isn't some kind of a static religion that we're following until something better comes along or it becomes no longer relevant for our culture so it eventually dies out. People have been predicting, by the way, that Christianity would die out for centuries. It's still here and doing quite well. Now, Christianity is the fellowship of human beings 
with a living God. And it will continue to grow because we're not following a religion. We're following Jesus Christ who is alive and well. Which means our very lives should be radiating his very real love to all those around us to the point that unbelievers see the reality of Christ living inside of us and they want what we have. Referring to the church, the Apostle Paul said, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined together and held by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love Ephesians 4:15 and 16 the church is supposed to grow that's why we're here right you could just come and take us back any time now but the church is supposed to grow we're supposed to share what we've been given with those who have yet to experience it. Otherwise, we get saved. He just take us home. Why hang around after that, right? You see, there, there should be a conviction, if not a burden, within each one of us to make disciples. And so it is right for us to ask ourselves, when I think about the church... Do I think about who I can bring with me to our gatherings or do I just think about those who will already be there? When I think about the church, do I think about what I can do to serve others or do I just think about how the church can serve me? When I think about the church, do I, do I think about what I can give or do I just think about what I can get? Right? How much actual time in your day do you spend thinking of ways you can contribute to the church of Jesus Christ to see it grow? Because that's the point. You see, how much time do you spend thinking about those who do not know Jesus Christ? That's why we're here, because the church is supposed to grow. And we're going to talk about how that happens in a moment. But if we have no heart for the lost, then we will make no contribution to the growth of the church. It doesn't matter how much we know if we don't ever share it. It doesn't matter how much we have if we don't ever give it. It doesn't matter how gifted we are if we don't ever use it to see the church grow. That's why we're here. The story of Upcountry Church is a beautiful story, but it has only just begun. Are you passionate about seeing the church grow to become all that it can become? And of course, uh, I'll just mention here, every local church has an optimal size based on all sorts of things, like its leadership and its structure and the community and the passion of the people for the lost and so on. Uh, there's a great pastor and author named Carl Vaders who writes about church growth in a book titled The Grasshopper Myth. It's a great book where he too uses the tree as an analogy for uh, different types of churches. And so uh, some trees grow very large, while others, even at full maturity, remain very small in size. And then, of course, you have everything in between. The, the point being, whether you're an oak tree, a redwood tree, or a bonsai tree, there's a point at which every tree stops naturally growing in size. In other words, trees don't 
continue to get larger forever, right? They reach an optimal size and they stay that size. But that doesn't mean they're not healthy trees. On the contrary, long after a tree has reached its optimal size and stopped growing, if it is healthy, it continues to produce fruit for many, many, many years. Which means church growth and church health are not always synonymous, right? So we have small churches. He says we have medium churches, we have large churches, and we have mega churches. And the kingdom of God is made up of people in all of those different sized churches. And all of those churches, if they are healthy, will produce a lot of fruit long after they've stopped growing in size. So that the kingdom of God itself never stops growing, even though a local church may not forever get larger and larger and larger. But if we're healthy, we will continue to produce fruit for the kingdom, which means kingdom growth, even if that doesn't always equate to local church growth. Here's the point. At the end of the day, the amount of people who end up calling upcountry church home is up to God. But the amount of fruit this church ends up producing, that is largely up to us. And the truth of the matter is, this little church has produced a lot of fruit over the past five years. We don't have time to talk about all of it, yet I'm telling you, I feel such a strong conviction that we haven't even scratched the surface. In fact, I don't even believe we've come close to reaching our optimal size. And I'll tell you why. There are probably more now. The most recent statistics I could find were like from 2010 that said there were about a half a million people in Greenville County alone. So 40% of them claim no religious affiliation. That means conservatively about 200,000 people just in this county and probably many more now are without Christ. I think we have work to do. Because Upcountry Church is a beautiful story, but the story has only begun. And I, I believe it's time now more than ever for us to get busy doing what Jesus commanded us to do, to make disciples, because the church is supposed to grow. And again, I think this church has a lot more growing to do. If just 1% of those 200,000 people decided to call Upcountry Church home, we'd have another 2,000 people in our fellowship. I don't think we'd fit in here. Okay? We've built a, uh, look, we've built a strong foundation. But this is just the beginning. Let's continue reading the next parable in Matthew 13. It's just one verse, uh, verse 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. So first Jesus compares the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed and now he compares it to leaven. Leaven uh, typically in the form of yeast is what makes dough ferment and rise when making bread. And of course, uh, we don't think too much about leaven today, uh, but the nomadic ancestors of the Hebrews 
much like the Bedouin tribes of today, uh, made their bread without leaven. So as using leaven was becoming more common, people became more aware, they understood the effect that leaven had on dough. In fact, it only took a very small amount of leaven to be hidden in the dough, which was then worked or kneaded in with the rest of the batch until all the bread would then become leavened. In uh, Galatians 5.9, Paul reminds the church that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Right? And so leaven was widely understood as a pervasive agent in making bread. Whether viewed positively or negatively, everyone understood that just a little bit of leaven would completely transform all of the dough that it came in contact with. And Jesus was saying, this is the effect that the gospel has in culture. Right? The church grows by spreading the gospel. Okay? The, the, the spiritual equivalent of the leaven is not how cool a church is. It's not. The spiritual equivalent of the leaven is not how friendly a church is. It's not how the church presents itself to the community. And I'm not saying those things don't matter, by the way. They, they can certainly uh, have value assigned to them, all of that. But the spiritual equivalent of the leaven is none of those things. The spiritual equivalent of the leaven is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which means being cool, as great as that is, will not change our culture. Being friendly will not change our culture. Even being relevant, that won't change our culture because only the gospel of Jesus Christ can change human hearts and transform an entire culture. Which means what we're actually saying to people when we, when we witness to them is of paramount importance because you can love people with all of the authenticity and sincerity in the world as we should but a Muslim can love someone with just as much authenticity and sincerity as we can so can a Buddhist so can a Hindu so can a Mormon yes we're commanded to love people absolutely but the gospel is far more than just showing genuine affection and acceptance and compassion to people it's about telling them the truth about Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for them earlier we read Ephesians 4 15 and 16, Paul says, Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Obviously, love is a key ingredient, but we can't ignore the first part of that passage. The part about speaking the truth in love. We must speak the truth if human souls are to actually be saved, redeemed, transformed. You see, a, a big part of loving people is telling them the truth. In fact, that is the most loving thing we could ever do, actually telling them the truth about Jesus Christ because everything else they ever accept from us, our kindness, our compassion, our gifts, our help, as wonderful as all of that is, it's also temporary. But if they accept the gospel, 
they've accepted something that is eternal. So uh, we have to be very careful when we say we're ministering or witnessing to unbelievers that we're actually at some point in that relationship that we're actually speaking the truth of the gospel to them because I'm telling you there's no substitute for the proclamation of the gospel. And yet there are people, and honestly, uh, contemporary church teaching is partly to blame for this, where people share a testimony about something God did for them, and then they walk away believing they shared the gospel with that person. Now, look, we're supposed to share our testimonies with people. That is what makes the gospel personal and relatable to people who hear it. Our testimonies are evidence that the gospel is truly working in people's lives. But our testimonies alone are not the same thing as the gospel. Okay? Simply telling someone that Jesus did something for you, that, that he gave you strength in a difficult situation, that he, he gave you peace when your life was in turmoil, that he miraculously met a need in your life, it's all great, but it is not the gospel. Okay? Personal testimonies will not leaven our culture. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can do that. And yet it's not a forceful thing. It's not God's people being obnoxious or, or pushy or demanding. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Three measures of flour was a lot of flour, by the way. It's about 50 pounds. That's enough to feed between 100 and 150 people when baked. And yet no one would know the leaven was even there until the bread was produced. You see, the evidence of the leaven, the evidence that the leaven had spread throughout the dough was found in the final product. Once the bread was produced, only then could the effects of the leaven be seen, but not before. Until then, the leaven was hidden away in the dough. Okay, the evidence that the gospel is being spread is not in how conspicuous we are in sharing it. It's not standing on a street corner shouting at people as they walk by. It's not trying to force ourselves on the culture. It's not through, it's certainly not through self-promotion. No, the evidence that the gospel is being spread is in the product of that gospel. The men and women whose lives have been changed by it. You see, we don't have to self-promote what we're doing when we're truly sharing the gospel of Christ because the results will speak for themselves and everyone will know that a transformation has taken place in that person's life. And when that happens, when the gospel, not just a testimony, but when the gospel itself takes root in a community, in a culture, in the hearts of men and women, there is nothing in heaven or earth that can stop it. Matthew chapter 16, Jesus asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
The rock that Jesus says he will build his church on is the proclamation of the truth about who Jesus is. Jesus was saying, my church will be built on the proclamation of the gospel. And when that happens, not even hell itself will be able to stop it. It is of the utmost importance when we minister to other people, when we encounter, especially when we enter into relationships with lost people, as we all should be doing, it is critical to the kingdom of heaven, the building of his church, that we're committed to his agenda, not ours. That means loving people like Jesus loved them, which opens the doors for the proclamation of the gospel. And once we've shared that truth of the gospel, we testify to how that gospel has changed our own lives. That's the evidence that it is true and transformative. So it's all very important. We just can't leave out the part, which many people do today, of actually telling others who Jesus is and what he's done. Okay, it's all done very simply and very naturally as we engage in relationships with people, just loving them and sharing the truth as we experience this life together. That's what this church has been all about, okay? And when living that way becomes a matter of course for your life, the evidence of it will be seen in the changed lives of other people all around you. The truth is, you won't have to promote yourself and what you've done because it will be obvious in the lives of others. And, and that is how the kingdom spreads on this earth. One relationship at a time. That is how his church continues to grow like it is supposed to. Okay? 20 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now, when we're all gone, what will people say about this church? I wonder what story they will tell. Will they talk about how cool we were? Will they talk about how friendly we were? Will they talk about how relevant we were? Or will they talk about how this church transformed a community? How lives were changed and the culture was changed because something that started so small, 16 people in a beat up old church building grew into something so large and so lasting and so beautiful, something that never bragged on itself, but just quietly and consistently loved people and told them the truth about Jesus Christ day after day and week after week and and faithfully year after year until it spread all throughout the city and then all throughout Greenville County and then all throughout our state and far beyond. That is the story that God is writing about this church and he is writing it through your lives. How big it gets, that's up to him. But how much we produce how much gospel we are able to hide away into this community. How much the message of Jesus Christ gets needed into the lives of men and women who we encounter. I'm telling you that is up to us. We've built on a good foundation. 
but it's just the beginning. There's much to be done. And that's okay, because great things always grow from small things. Which means whatever story is told about us over the next 20 or 50 or 100 years, it all starts with how we build on this foundation that we have right here today. And I'll just tell you the truth. I don't want to just change our community for Christ. I want to change the world for Christ. That's a story worth telling. That's a beautiful story. Let's pray.